What's going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Before we get started on all the topics that we have to do and discuss today, I just want to tell everyone that I have been blogging a lot more recently. So, I mean, I've had like a blog set up since college, but I've never used it, which seems like a pretty poor choice in hindsight. But I'm starting to use it now, so everything isn't going to be refined to the podcast anymore. Um, It's going to be spread out and not as jam-packed. That way I can kind of pace myself, especially so now because I only do the podcast once a week. I don't have to wait if something happens on Thursday or Wednesday after I release the podcast to talk about it. I'll just blog it instead. So I went to go see Pokemon Detective Pikachu and John Wick 3 this past week. Uh, Last Wednesday was Pikachu and this past Friday was John Wick. And I blogged about both of those. I also blogged about this new Netflix show I was watching, or I just finished watching, called The Society. So you can read all three of those blogs about those two movies and that TV show at johnlgrimaldi.wordpress.com. I will probably... I'll, I'll link it in the, in, the, in the description of this episode, actually. So you can just click on that link, and hopefully that'll work, and it'll bring you right to the site. If not, again, johnlgrimaldi.wordpress.com. And I'll be blogging a lot of stuff there. Uh, Probably should write about my thoughts on Robert Pattinson being casted as Batman. Because that's pretty big news. And a couple of my friends were in agreement with me. Trying to give him a chance. And another one was a little bit more pessimistic. But it's all about how you view Robert Pattinson's career. Anyway, yeah. I'll probably blog about that. Uh, either today or tomorrow, whatever. Um, but instead, like I said, I, I blogged the John Wick thing, and I said I was going to do it on the podcast. But instead, I decided to just write about that and then talk about the Game of Thrones finale because there's so much more to go over for that, and it'll take up a lot more time than talking about John Wick. And also, easier to talk about than write about for me for Game of Thrones. But before we get to all that, we'll wrap up the episode with the Game of Thrones talk. But for now, the Warriors are headed back to the NBA Finals. Much to the surprise of probably no one, everyone expected the Warriors to get there. They were heavy favorites, although people's point of views changed a little bit or were... Maybe not changed, but their faith was shaken a little bit when Kevin Durant went down with his calf injury. And I've been one of those guys who was like, well, I mean, it's not just me. Everyone knew if there was a chance the Warriors were going to to lose and not get to the NBA Finals, it was because Kevin Durant was down with an injury. However, when that happened, Stephen Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson showed why they are the core of that franchise and they don't necessarily need Durant. He just makes them virtually unstoppable. But they showed that we're still they are still the best team in the NBA without Durant. And I was clowning Steph Curry, as were other people. It wasn't just me, for the record. But I was on the record clowning Steph Curry, saying, you know, his leash was very long as a superstar. We should start holding him accountable for when he doesn't show up in big playoff games or in big situations. And after he had that laugh out loud moment against the Rockets in overtime where he tried to go for a dunk when he never dunks. He tried to go for a dunk and then got stuffed by the rim. And he also shot very poorly that game and the game before that. But after that happened, he's been, and especially after Durant went down. Durant went down and Curry took over in the fourth quarter of that game. 
and he led the rock he led the the Warriors to victory over the Rockets. And then him and Clay in game six closed out the Rockets, and then him, Clay, and Draymond absolutely just demolished the Trailblazers. Now I just want to say that the Portland Trailblazers did themselves no favors, okay? Steph Clay and Draymond were phenomenal against the Blazers. They were all fantastic. You know, Steph and Draymond in this in game four, first teammates to ever have a triple double in the playoffs. Which is I mean, that's an incredible stat. Although I think triple doubles are overrated, it's still an incredible stat. All those guys showed up. But like I said, the war, the the Blazers did themselves no favors. You can't have it was seventeen, seventeen, and eighteen point lead in three straight games, and you blow it. It's it's unacceptable. Uh, like and it's it's ridiculous too because, like, it's not surprising. I was watching, I was at a bar on Friday night, Saturday night, whenever game three was, and I went over to check the score, and it was halfway through the second quarter, and the Trailblazers were up 17. I came back over, and I was talking to Riley, who's been on the podcast, if you guys remember him, if you go that far back. It's, it was a couple of few, a while back now, but still, uh, I was talking to my, him, and I said, Blazers are up 17 in the second quarter, and he's like, oh, that's pretty good. I was like, yeah, but if we both came to the agreement, we're like, yeah, it's not good enough. So that begs the question, what lead is safe against the Warriors? 20 points? 25 points, 30 points. It's it's absurd how they so they like systematically chop away at that lead and then next thing you know they're they're it's a tied game. And then they're in the lead. And then you lose. They're able to string together runs with such ease. They're they're literally a video game. It's it's so ridiculous how they could just easily make any type of lead disappear within minutes. And again, this is all without Kevin Durant. And in game four, you had Draymond Green, who hit the dagger three, which, I mean, listen, if you're the Blazers... That's just tough because you're guarding Steph, you're guarding Clay. You don't want either of them to beat you. And Steph, who played the entire second half of Game 4, the entire second half, probably exhausted. He dishes it off to Draymond. Gets the open three from the wing. Knocks it down. Swish. Nothing but net. And Damian Lillard, a lot of people have been clowning Damian Lillard. I only have one big problem with him. Do I want him taking the last shot? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, out of everybody on the Blazers, I think I'd be most comfortable, you know, anyone would say you'd be most comfortable with Damian Lillard taking the last shot for them. But when they're down two, and he drives to the basket, and gets double teamed. You got you got to pull out and and find a different or pass out of the shot something. Or you can't just try and can take that contested floater. That actually happened. That was never mind. That was for the win. They weren't down two, but still he took a bad shot when they were down two. Also, I mean it's 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 tough for Damian Lillard because. Yes, he is the guy, but also you have C.J. McCollum. Like, C.J. McCollum is clutch also, and he, he can hit shots just as as difficult as Damian Lillard. 
And he can McCollum can create his own shot just as well. So what I've I I mean I would have liked to see McCollum at least take the the shot to to win it before it went into overtime. And it's and it's tough for Damian Lillard because the Warriors they they did a a good job containing him. You know he still shot pretty well most of the games. He still put up numbers. Uh, but when you're even in game four, they were only up what five, four, five, six points at halftime. Like Myers Leonard was your top scorer. He was like 11 of 15 from the field with 25 points at halftime. And when you're getting that kind of performance and a half from Myers Leonard and you're only up five, that's not good. You need to take advantage of that because Myers Leonard, that Myers Leonard doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't put up those kind of numbers in an entire game, let alone a half. And he happened to that game and the Blazers just, didn't take advantage at all. Now, getting swept by the Warriors, yes. It sucks. If you're a Trailblazers fan, it sucks. This season was far from a failure for the Portland Trailblazers. They were a team who, upper half of the Western Conference for the entire year, They get the three seed. They edge out the Rockets at the end of the year. They get the three seed. After Josef Nurkic goes down with a gruesome leg injury. So their best big man goes down and they still are able to squeak out the three seed. They get all the way. They beat the Nuggets in the semifinals. Who are the two seed? That's impressive. They beat OKC. They beat OKC. Paul George, Russell Westbrook, in the first round. Impressive. You know, Oklahoma City's not a bad team, obviously. Then they beat the second seed Nuggets. Very impressive. Seven game series. And then, of course, and then you know you get to the conference finals, and you get swept by the Warriors. But that's the first time they've been to the conference finals in nineteen years. Like that, since they lost 19 years ago, Scottie Pippen was on the Trailblazers. And they were playing Shaq and Kobe in the Lakers. It's a long time ago. So for them to finally get back to the conference finals, that's, that's a win, man. That's a win. And yes, you got swept. Would you have liked to have won at least, you know, one, maybe two games? At home, yeah, yeah, you it would have been nice, definitely. But you're going up against arguably the greatest team ever assembled, minus Kevin Durant, of course. And that's that's the poor, that's the bad look that the Blazers will get. That. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum were these two guys who talked a lot about how, you know, Durant kind of makes the Warriors unfair, blah, blah, blah. And then they go up against the Warriors without Kevin Durant and they get swept. So that's a bad look. And it would have been nice to see them at least put up a fight without Durant. Because Durant went on McCollum's podcast, I think before the season started or just during the beginning of the year. And Durant was talking, telling McCollum, you know, don't worry what goes on up top. You ain't never going to win a championship. Because him and the Warriors are always going to win, no matter what. And to get that matchup in the Western Conference Finals, I think it would have been a little bit more brutal if Durant was there and they got swept, it would have been like, yeah, like, you got here, but whatever I said holds true. 
but you get there and Durant's not even there and you can't capitalize. I'm sure if they would have won in some hypothetical scenario, if the Blazers won, Durant would have just been like, you know, McCollum probably would have chirped and Durant would have been like, yeah, but like, come on, I wasn't really there. But now this is the a Warriors team who gave Kevin Durant six games to rest and now have a lot of time off before the the, the finals start. So Durant's probably going to come back for the finals. I, I, I don't really see why he wouldn't. He had, he's had six games and however many days, almost two weeks to rest. And now you have multiple days to rest to the finals. The entire team does. Because I have a very strong feeling that this Raptors-Bucks series is going seven games. The Bucks got off to a 2-0 lead on the Raptors. An overtime loss in Game 3. The Raptors won that. And then the Raptors blowing them out last night. I'm saying the Raptors neutralized Giannis Antetokounmpo. He still had 25 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 blocks last night on 9-17 shooting. So, neutralize might not be the uh, the right word, but Giannis missed, he, he shot like 60% from the line last night. He missed a bunch of free throws. He airballed one. He did not look good from the line at all. Uh, his plus minus was minus 19. That's not good, obviously. He had four turnovers, so, you know, maybe half that you'd like to see, but... The Raptors have done a good job of containing the Bucks' offense. Uh, Giannis, so Giannis had a good night. Chris Middleton had a good night. Chris Middleton had a very good night. Uh, he had 30 points. Malcolm Brogdon, Eric Bledsoe have just been... They they were awful last night. Eric Bledsoe has not been very good for a little a, a short while now. He needs to step up his game, especially offensively. He's also getting a little reckless with his playmaking. He, he needs to to find... I don't know where his jumper went, but he was... Let, let's see, what was it? Two, two for 11, I want to say, last night. He was two for seven. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon was two for 11 last night. Four points. Eric Bledsoe was two for seven. Five points. Brooke Lopez, was, in 25 minutes playing, was a complete non-factor. Uh, three for five. Eight points. Like I said, Chris Middleton had a nice night. 11 for 15 shooting. 4-7 from deep. Six rebounds. Seven assists. 30 points. Onto Dekumbo. I already read his stat line. Miritich was 4 of 10. No no real bench production at all. Pat Connaughton was 1 of 4. Uh, like I said, Brogdon, 2 of 11 in 28 minutes. George Hill was just 1 of 2 shooting. Five rebounds, three assists in 27 minutes. Five points in 27 minutes is not good if that's if you're George Hill. You only took two shots. Uh, Ilya Sova in 18 minutes was three of five with seven points. No, So no real bench production at all for the Bucks. They got blown out 120 to 102. And then you go look at the Raptors side. Pascal Siakam, three of six shooting, seven points. That's it. But they got some serious, serious uh, bench play. Norman Powell had 18 points on 6 of 18 shooting, 4 13 from 3. Serge Ibaka had a really nice game, 17 points, 13 rebounds on 7 of 12 shooting. And Fred Van Vliet, I clowned Fred Van Vliet. I don't know if it was on the podcast or like off air in real life to someone, but I was clowning Fred Van Vliet in the... Uh, the 76ers series because he was god awful, but he was five of six last night, three of three from deep, thirteen points, six assists off the bench. So that's three guys off the bench that gave you good minutes. Powell played thirty-two, Ibaka played twenty-four, Van Vliet pay, uh, played twenty-five. So good minutes off the bench. Uh, even Danny Green not he didn't wasn't a factor really. He had uh, him and Siakam had foul troubles. Green ended with four fouls. Siakam ended with five. Kyle Lowry showed up. 
25 points on 6 of 11 shooting, 5 rebounds, 6 assists. Marcus Saul, 6 of 11 shooting, 3-6 from deep, 7 assists, 5 rebounds, 17 points. And Kawhi Leonard, of course, 19 points, 6 of 13 shooting, 7 rebounds, 1-3 from deep. I mean, <laughs> like, what are you going to do? You have all you have six guys going off for the the Raptors, and and two guys going off for the Bucks. I you can't expect to win like that. And the Bucks offense has seemed a little off the past two games, not the past two games I should say, but especially last night, because uh, the game before that went to overtime. I think so. I wouldn't really say that, but uh, Giannis has to figure out how to. I mean, I don't know how much I can blame Giannis, but when you're the MVP, possible defensive player of the year, on a team with the best record in the NBA, and you're in the conference finals, you got to find a way to get everybody else involved. Because, yeah, Giannis, Giannis got his, you know, 25 and 10 is nothing to scoff at, obviously. And Chris Middleton did what Chris Middleton does, and that was shoot the lights out of the ball. The Bucks just... I get it. Like, ideally, the home team wins their, their games, right? Like, you, you have home court advantage. You need, to take, you need to take advantage of that, and you need to win your games at home. And that's what the Raptors did, so credit to them. But I just... I, I don't know what I, I... I missed it out of the Bucks last night, man. They just didn't have what they usually have. And maybe that's because Eric Bledsoe's been struggling, you know, playmaking and all that. And they need someone else besides Giannis to create plays for others. And obviously it hasn't been there yet. Malcolm Brogdon and Bledsoe, as I said, the two other point guards really on this. Bledsoe, the starting point guard, Malcolm Brogdon, the backup. But two guys who are supposed to be able to create plays and they just really haven't. And, of course, last night, offensively, they weren't that great either. So, this game is, this series is shaping up to go seven very easily. And we'll find out Thursday night who goes into game six with the lead. Series tied 2-2. They head back to Milwaukee. 1-1-1 now is the the series. Milwaukee, Toronto. Back to Milwaukee if it goes seven. Other basketball news is Magic Johnson, of course. Uh, Magic Johnson went on first take. He did a bunch of talk shows like that uh, a couple days ago. And he essentially went on and exposed the Lakers' front office and all the the problems and the, the decision-making and the questionable moves that they've made. You know, obviously his very abrupt uh, resignation from his his position in the Lakers front office. And he explained in a tidbit that when he knew he wanted to leave, he was saying that he wanted to fire Luke Walton. He was saying that, you know, Luke's a great guy. He's a former Laker. Uh, he's contributed a lot to the organization, but he just thought that they needed a new coach. And he brought that up to Jeannie Buss, the owner, and all of a sudden, she started kind of deferring to this a couple of other people in the front office trying to tell Magic what to do, and he was like, I'm only supposed to be answering the Jeannie, and then all these other people are getting involved, and that's when... And that's when Magic said he kind of realized that maybe it was time to step away from what had been happening and to step away from the Lakers and step down from his position. And, of course, the whole CCing thing, uh, I don't know if he addressed that. I may have missed it, but uh, that whole email chain probably didn't help. But the Lakers are... I mean, how many times can I talk about them, man? Like, how many times? Frank Vogel was introduced as their head coach a couple days ago. Um, it's all about recruiting now. And I, I don't know what the, the Lakers are going to go about recruiting 
I think LeBron needs to be in the room. They need to have as little people as possible in the room because uh, there were reports of, you know, recruiting head coaches and and players and it would be like Genie Bus and and 10, 15 other people in the room during this meeting. Kurt Rambis, his wife, Jeannie Buss, uh, her, like, two advisors who are also her really good friends, like, all their spouses, general manager, like, Palenka is there with, like, three of his other people. Just an overcrowded room of people. And I think what the, the Lakers need to have, they need to have Vogel, Jason Kidd, I may Rob Palenka, I guess would have to you know he I mean he's the general manager currently and I think also by de facto the basketball operations guy or maybe that's Kurt Rambis I don't know but they didn't hire anyone new for that to fill Magic's position uh and that might actually just it might be Kurt Rambis but so Vogel kid Palinka and LeBron. I think those are the only four people you have to have in the room. Jeannie Buss doesn't even have to be there. Like, she needs to stay the fuck away from the Lakers because she is becoming like a, a James Dolan, Jeff Wilpon esque kind of owner. It, it's it's not good. She needs. She's. Oh my god. She's ruining. She's ruining the Lakers. I mean, they are becoming a laughing stock. She needs to just take a step back as far as what she is directly involved in in the organization. She just needs to take a step back because it, it's proving to be fatal. <laughs> like they, they need if they don't get anyone this off season, they're done. Like it's over. Your LeBron is wasted, and that's it. He's going to be 35 in December. You cannot possibly tell me that you're going to go a whole nother year with a 35-year-old LeBron James, then expect a big free agent to sign, and then have a 36-year-old LeBron James and try and make a title run. Like, I know he's LeBron James, and maybe not anymore, but arguably the best player in the world still. But you can't expect a 36-year-old to be the centerpiece of your championship roster. You just can't do it. So it's it's this summer if they don't get anyone or bust for that Lakers team. Oh, and by the way, yeah, of course, they also have the fourth overall pick. So I would trade that. If you're trying to win now with LeBron, you trade that pick for in a, in a package for Anthony Davis or somebody else. Baseball news. Hell yeah. Oh, man. We got <laughs> the Mets. The Mets are Metsin. It's that time of year, baby. Uh, they actually had a very impressive win last night um, against the Nationals where they blew it, got it back, and then blew it again, and then got it back on a walk-off. An infield single walk-off by Ahmed Rosario, which was unexpected. The, the news there really... That before that, that win that kind of made everyone forget about what was going on momentarily. It was reported that Yoannis Cespedes, who um, was he's was given the biggest contract the Mets have dished out in years, and probably will for years. <laughs> and he uh, he got surgery on both his heels. Another guy who got surgery on both his heels. The Yankees, Troy Tulowitzki, this past, or last last year, I should say. He was out for a whole year. He missed all of uh, the 2018 season because he got the double heel surgery. Suspedis got that. He was starting to, to walk normal again. I think he was doing some light running. Um, he was throwing, you know, just getting back into the swing of things. And then it was reported that he had an accident in his on his ranch in 
Port St. Lucie, Florida, and he broke his ankles. That was the original report. He broke his ankles, plural. It later came out that it was just one ankle, but multiple fractures. And he said the report was that he fell in a hole. Now, is this like a pothole-sized hole in his at his ranch? Is it like a ditch that he fell in? I mean, there's no way this happened while he was walking, right? Like, he... This is obviously a cover-up, so he still gets paid by the Mets. But he, he fell off his horse. Like, 100%. There's no way that on his horse ranch in Florida did he break his ankle by just walking and, like, falling in a, a hole or a ditch. There's just there's no explanation for why that would be a legitimate excuse. To what happened. The thing that makes the most sense. Is that he fell off his horse. But I'm sure. Much like. You know. Riding motorcycles. And other dangerous things like that. Riding a horse is probably a clause in. You know. You get a big money contract like that. With motorcycles. Like a lot of. A lot of teams have. You know. Players can't put themselves in harm's way or risk being injured during the off season stuff or even during season and doing stuff like that where like for a motorcycle obviously it's it's very apparent you know a team who's paying you millions and millions and millions of dollars to play a game for their franchise doesn't want you driving around on a motorcycle where you can possibly get seriously injured riding a motorcycle whether it's your fault or not, the possibility, you know, the risk factor of riding a motorcycle is is there. So teams don't want you doing that, right? There was a whole report about how Markel Fultz injured himself riding his motorcycle, and that's why his shot got all fucked up. I don't think that's ever been confirmed, but I did read some rumors about that. Things like that, I assume maybe there was some type of horse clause in his contract where... If he gets injured riding his horse, he is voided of X amount of dollars from his contract. I have no idea. But it, it definitely seems like that is more of an, a reasonable explanation for how he bro- had multiple fractures in his ankle than falling in a hole. Cross down from the Mets. The Yankees are doing something that they failed to do consistently last year, and that is beat the shit. Out of sub-500 teams. They lost too many times last year to the Blue Jays, the Orioles, other teams other f- under 500. Uh, shitty teams on the West Coast like the Angels, other teams like that. And now, they're finally taking advantage. I think, well, I just read it earlier. They're like 22 and 20 and 5 or 22 and 5, something like that. Against teams under 500, which is spectacular. Now, teams over 500, they're only 13 and 12, which is fine. Which is fine. You you want to compete with the teams above 500, but you need to slaughter the ones below 500 because you can't afford late in the season. You know, the Yankees won 100 games last year and they didn't take full advantage of teams that. They should have beaten, like the Royals. Oh, that's another, like the Royals. They they would lose to the Royals last year. They still won 100 games. It's impressive. They won 100 games, and they didn't win all the games that they probably should have. Now they're beating up on teams like the Orioles. Granted, the Orioles did give them a little bit of a scare. They had a rally um, a couple nights ago where the last three innings, they rallied for 10, like, not 10, uh, eight runs. I think it was in the last three innings. So that was really exciting to see. Uh, and then yesterday, they just from the get-go, beat the snot out of the Orioles. So it's 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 fun to watch uh, if you're a Yankee fan. What's more encouraging is, again, all these guys we have injured, they're still pro- the people who are in the lineup are producing. 
They're doing what they got to do. Gary Sanchez is someone who, if you're a Yankee fan, man, it puts a smile on your face. Because last year, a lot of people shit on Gary Sanchez for last year. I I I hold him accountable. You know, you can't bat like 200, sub 200 for an entire, you can't, you can't do it. I don't think he was sub 200. Actually, he might have been. I don't actually, I don't, I don't know. Around there, it was super, super low average. Not a lot of home runs, RBIs, whatever. He was injured a lot. He had injuries last year that just kept hounding him and hounding him, and he can never get back to full strength. This year, he's 100% healthy, and he is demolishing the baseball. I mean, he is launching homers, and just when he makes contact, it's just a pop off his bat. He's got one of those one of those swings where the ball just comes off differently off his bat. And he had four RBIs against the Orioles the other night. He had a home run in the ninth to give the Yankees a 10-7 lead. He's been beating the shit out of the baseball. I mean, there's there's nothing else to it. He's hitting 263, which is fine. But I think what does he have? 13 home runs. He he's been fantastic. He's proving he's one of the best catchers in baseball. He's also had a couple impressive throwouts, too, showing off his cannon of an arm. Uh, So in that aspect, he's been better defensively as well. Glaber Torres, interesting stat. He has 10 home runs on the year. Eight of them have come against the Orioles. (laughs) Like, sometimes you just, you find a team... And you just you beat the shit out of them, regardless of what month it is, what day it is, what the team's doing. It doesn't matter. You just beat the shit out of them. And Glaber Torres has found his team in the Orioles. Eight home runs. He has ten on the season. Eight of them come against the Orioles. Clint Frazier is starting to get going again. I love. He was he was hot for a while, and he had a little bit of an injury for. He was out for about a week. Then he came back. You like to see these guys. The pitching staff has been solid. The pitching staff has been really solid with the exception of J-Hat because he has been just garbage, uh, like real bad. He he can't seem to get any type of command or location on his pitches. There's All his pitches are flat. I mean, they're all just coming in in a straight line. He He needs to figure something out. Because we we need him to step up. He's a big part of the rotation, obviously. Um, and especially right now with Severino still out and uh, Sabathia missed his last start in uh, in exchange for the Yankees using an opener in Chad Green, which was just awful. Uh, just an awful decision. Um, but still, regardless of Hap's poor play, um, the Yankees did win his last start. He got the no decision. I don't know when Severino is going to be back. I mean, when he does get back, yeah, it, the load will be a little bit lighter on Hap and everybody else in the rotation. But you want to see him, you know, be the Hap that the Yankees signed, not whatever scrub version this is. Quick tidbit, should Mickey Callaway be fired? I should have mentioned this when I was talking about the Mets. Should Mickey Callaway be fired? No, not yet. Not yet. That's my two cents on that. And also bring up Anthony Kay. The Mets need him. Kid is throwing a one oh what what is it one oh seven ERA in Double A Binghamton. His last start, he had a no hitter through seven innings, eighty eight pitches, and they took him out because of pitch count. But he didn't allow a hit in seven innings. His walk rate is down. His strikeouts are about consistent where they are where they usually are. And. He's been phenomenal. So either bumping up, bump him up to AAA for a few starts and see how it goes, and then bring him to the majors, or give him another few starts in AA and bring him back up, bring him up to the majors in June. All right, let's get into this now. Game of Thrones, baby. Man, oh man. Now, I haven't talked about Game of Thrones on this podcast. 
pretty much at all. Um, season 8 just ended. The series just ended. It's all over now. And whew, a lot of people hated it. A lot of people hated season 8. Um, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. Uh, a lot of complaints. First of all, just off the rip, anyone who really had a big gripe about how the the Starbucks cup on the table or the water bottle in episode six, shove it. Seriously, shut up. If you're if that's what you're worried about, and that's what oh they're so lazy they're leaving props on this. Shut up, shut up. No one cares. I'm more concerned with the writing. Now, I listen. I I I've we've had a few days to think about everything now. I'm not necessarily mad with how Game of Thrones ended. Like how all their characters ended up and the fates of all of them. I'm not necessarily mad at that. I'm mad about the in-between. We went from point A to point C. And that and that was that's what this this season felt like. We were here, now we're there, and there's no in-between. The parts that pissed me off. The fucking cutaways. Jesus Christ. The amount of cutaways that were in season 8 on these monstrous, monstrous parts. Jon Snow telling his family that he's actually Aegon Targaryen. The son of Lyanna Stark and, and Rhaegar Targaryen. Cut away. We don't get to see the reaction. Sansa telling uh, Tyrion that Jon's actually Aegon Targaryen. Another cutaway. All these goddamn cutaways. For no reason. The biggest parts of this show, they, just, they don't show the reactions of these things. Unresolved, like we don't get to see in episode two when Tyrion sits down with Bran and wants to hear what he has to say. We don't get the we don't find out what any of that conversation is like. We don't get to see in uh in the Battle of Winterfell when Bran says, I'm going to go now, and then he he wargs into ravens and you see him flying around. He's just gone like that for the entire episode when you don't get to see what he's doing at all. Just unresolved unresolved shit like that is just it just pisses me off, man. And all right, let's just so I don't go on ranting about everything. Let's let's wrap let's go main character by main character. First off, Cersei and Jamie's death fucking sucked. Like I get it was poetic and all that, but, oh man, uh, it was just awful, just awful, I, I get it was poetic that everything that they had built came crumbling down on them, yada, 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 but Cersei was effectively not in this season, uh, she wasn't in the first three episodes, pretty much at all, she was in episode one for a little bit, not in two and three at all, Episodes 4 and 5, all she was doing the entire time was staring out a window drinking wine. That's like all she, uh, she didn't do anything. Completely wasted the character and she was so awesome and then to give her like a poetic quote unquote happy death with Jamie in her like in Jamie's arms was so stupid and they ruined Jamie's character. Ugh, just Reverting him back to this, like, mean, smug asshole he was in the first three seasons. And, yeah, maybe at the end of the day, you can wipe it all away and say, you know, at his core, the only person he's ever truly cared about is Cersei. So to go back and be with her really is his character. But that's not the way they wrote it. So that's not the way it came across. It just came across like he was this super noble guy who had this this change of heart to fight for humanity because that's what he swore to do as a member of the, the King's Guard. And 
He even says that. I made a promise to fight for the living. And then, you know, he sleeps with Brienne. Or Brienne. And then he just, he, he hightails it out of there. And he just talks like he's an ass. Like, nope, I'm actually a really, really mean, evil dude. See you later. And again, it could have came, they could have wrote it like, maybe he didn't deserve, he didn't feel like he deserved to be happy or he deserved the love of Brienne. And that's why he left to go be with Cersei. But it's not how they wrote it and it's not how it came across. So it just makes him look like he does a complete 180 after this whole development of him becoming a good person since fucking season four. That annoyed me. So their deaths were really fucking dumb. They should have killed Jaime in the Battle of Winterfell. And Cersei should have... If if you want to leave Cersei with the whole building falling on top of her thing, sure. And it, But it would have been a lot better if she was just alone and afraid. Because that's what her character deserved. Alright, into the, the main guys. Bran. King Bran the Broken. What a fucking dumb name that is. This dude who has been nothing but talking about for two seasons how he is the three-eyed raven. I'm not a lord of Winterfell. I'm not a Stark. I'm just the three-eyed raven. I don't want anything. Yada, yada, yada. And then to have Tyrion just say, you want to be king? And he was like, you know what? Yeah, that sounds great. What the fuck? Why do you think I came all this way? What a dumb line. What a... Stupid, stupid line. Not only does it not make any sense to have Bran... Like, okay, yes, in theory, it would make sense for Bran to be on the throne because he is this all-seeing being and whatever. Fine. If you want to be like that, make John give the speech. No one brings up the fact that... I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, my God. Okay, so... Bran the Broken, first of all, laugh out loud, stupid name. He gets put on the throne, and yeah, I mean, he gets put on the throne. He gets this speech from Tyrion, all right? Now, Tyrion, I'm getting it all mixed up. We should start with Danny. That would make sense. So, Danny torches King's Landing, burns it to the ground. She's in the Iron Throne Room. John has just finished meeting with Tyrion, and he had this long conversation about how, no, I swear, Danny's good, blah, blah, blah. And Tyrion's like, look at all that she's done. She's killed uh, bad, she's killed slave owners, she's killed uh, like Dothraki higher ups, whatever. She killed all these people, and we praised her because they were evil men. She thinks. She's in the right. She thinks it's her destiny to sit on the throne and create a new world. And he asks John, "Would if you, you've been on a dragon, you've had that power, would you have burned the city to the ground? Pretty much convinces John that Danny thinks she's right in murdering all those innocent people, and that's what makes her dangerous. And John comes to the conclusion that he has to kill Danny, and that's when he meets her in the throne room, and pleads with her to to stop whatever she is. it is she's doing because, you know, I, I, like I said, I skipped over a couple things about Tyrion, you know, not wanting to be handed the queen anymore. If you've seen the episode, you know what I'm talking about, right? So John comes to that conclusion that he has to kill Danny, and they meet in the throne room. He tries one last effort to convince her, and she says, you know, we're going to rebuild the world together. And he says, you'll always be my queen. And they kiss and you think, wow, Jon Snow really has no goddamn backbone. And then he stabs her. And she dies. Drogon comes in and does this stupid, cheesy burning of the throne. Instead of just outright killing Jon Snow. He burns this, the throne because apparently he knows that that's what killed his mother. Not, you know, Jon just killed her. But what really killed her was her quest for this iron throne. And he burns it to the ground, takes Danny's body, and flies away. Like, poetic, yes, but so stupid and cheesy and dumb. Anyway, John, I guess at some point, 
admits that he killed Danny because uh, he gets thrown in jail. And this is what pissed me off the most is that there's a huge time time jump to there. Everyone's in King's Landing now. And it's just they skip several weeks of Tyrion and Jon being prisoners for the assassination of Daenerys Targaryen. And they just skip everything. And it turns into this Grey Worm brings Tyrion out and they have like some little meeting thing. And they decide who's the new king, who the new king's going to be. Edmer Tully steps up and he's like, oh, I'm like a veteran, whatever. And Sansa says, sit down. <laughs> like, sit the fuck down. And he gets embarrassed. So that was a funny moment. But Tyrion, of all people, who better? He's like, who better? You know, uh, stories are forever. And who has a better story than Bran Stark? You know, traveled, uh, was crippled and learned crippled and couldn't walk so he learned how to fly traveled beyond the wall became the three eye raven and came back uh who has a better story i'll tell you how about john snow the ba- the kid who grew up a bastard in winterfell found finding out you know going to become the lead the com- lord commander of the night's watch dying being resurrected and then finding out that he's actually half targaryen how about that one this is probably a better story. Instead of having Tyrion in that spot, giving this speech, how about Jon Snow? He's reluctant to take the throne, obviously. He, does, he said he doesn't want it. He's never wanted it. We get that. But if he gave that speech and then told Bran to be king, it would have made a lot more sense than Tyrion doing it. No one finds out that he, like, no one says anything that Jon is Aegon Targaryen. Like, no one says anything. Tyrion, Bran, Sansa, Arya, everyone who knows doesn't even, doesn't even mention, like, like, listen, I know he killed the queen, but, like, Jon is still the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. And who gives a fuck what Grey Worm and the Unsullied do? Ship their asses back to fucking wherever they're from. And that's where they come to the conclusion. Bran gets put on the throne. Sansa says, Bran, respectfully, piss off, but Winterfell's going to remain an independent kingdom like they have for thousands of years, so everything just goes back to the way it was. And Bran says, okay, whatever. Jon gets, instead of, Robert Baratheon parted Jamie Lannister for killing the Mad King. But for some reason, Bran doesn't pardon Jon for killing the Mad Queen. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Whatever. It's so dumb. He sends him to the Night's Watch. Arya becomes this weird explorer chick where she wants to travel west of Westeros because the maps end there. So she's going to discover the New World. There's no indication that Arya ever had an itch or an instinct to travel. You know, she's been an assassin the entire time, even though she used that ability once. Granted, it was sick, but she used it once. So she goes setting off for the New World. Sansa gets crowned queen in the North. Jon leaves the Night's Watch and goes with Tormund and Ghost out with the Wildlings into the the forest, and that's where the episode ends. Tyrion becomes Hand of the King to Bran. Samuel Tarly becomes an Archmaester. Uh, Bronn becomes Master of Coin, and he gets Highgarden like he was promised. And Davos becomes uh, Master of the Sea or whatever. He commands the ships. Podrick gets knighted. Uh, I think Brienne is the head of the King's Guard now, and she finishes Jamie's. I, I they kind of did Jamie right with that. I mean, Brienne going into his book, going into the book where it lists all the members of the King's Guard in history. She goes and finishes his entire story and ends it with died protecting his queen, which is Cersei. So that was kind of nice. I like that part. Um, I did like parts of this episode. It's just that everything they did to get there pissed me off 
So, I like Danny's death. I think that's the only way it could have ended with was with John killing her. Um, I like John's ending, going to be with the Wildlings. You know, this group of people where he felt like he truly did belong. Uh, you remember back in season four, whatever it was, with Ingrid and Tormund and all of them. He it felt like he was finally with a group of people he belonged to. Uh, so I kind of like that ending, but again, people j- like. It would have been nice if everyone found out he was Aegon Targaryen and wanted him on the throne. Then he was just like, no, let Bran do it. That would have been made a, a whole lot more sense than Tyrion giving the speech. And a lot more true to the character. But this whole point, you know, this huge reveal for years, R plus L equals J was this huge thing on the internet. And this, they had the huge reveal with him. And then for it to pretty much essentially mean nothing is incredibly frustrating. Sansa becoming queen in the north, I'm okay with that. Um Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. She she deserved that. Uh Yara Greyjoy can go fuck herself. Uh, all the people who essentially forced Bran to exile Jon to the Night's Watch can go fuck themselves. That's it's just so dumb. Like you're complete, you were completely useless characters. Again, all this could have been fletched out, man. Tyrion being handed the king again, a position that he doesn't want, forced to be it again. That's fine. Like most of the endings are fine. The montage at the end with all the Stark kids getting ready to, you know, enter their future. That was great. That Honestly, that montage of them just cutting back and forth between the three of them. That was one of the best parts of the entire show. The entire series. Like, that is, that's a great moment. It, it just, if they took... I'm going to wrap it up now because we're over an hour or so. I'm just going to wrap it up. If they took season seven, if they took the... The first, even if they did this, right? Season seven was was seven episodes. If they took the last, the first three episodes of season eight and took those and put them on the back end of season seven, that would have been perfect. They would have wrapped up, you know, they season seven was even a little prolonged, but you wrap up this entire Night King storyline in season seven. Maybe you have uh, the aftermath or something. Maybe leaving in a cliffhanger in season seven. Who knows? And then season eight starts off with them still fighting the Night King and all that. And then it ends, right? Episode one or, or episode two, it ends. The Night King ends, right? If, if it spanned three or four episodes, that would have made a lot more sense than just, you know, making the battle one episode. Everything could have been a lot more spread out and not entirely rushed. Then you have seven episodes to deal with just the fight for the throne. Danny going mad. Um, your own Greyjoy can go fuck himself. Right place, right time, whatever. Even the actor said, why did Euron suddenly get such good aim and then all of a sudden he had bad aim? He's like, I don't know, to progress the plot. Like, yeah. Yaron Greyjoy was a walking plot device in this show. Whenever they needed him to be super evil or a killing machine, he that's what he was. Whenever they needed him to show up in the right place, that's where he was, like washing up shore to fight Jamie. What the hell, man? He, oh, God, he sucked. So everything could have been a lot more fleshed out, you know? It didn't have to be rushed. And if they still landed at the same conclusion for each character and it still ended the same way, fine. But at least everything would make a lot more sense and feel a lot more earned and satisfying than what it was. I think that's what, not even what happened with everybody, but just how they got there was what pissed everyone off in season eight. That Thrones is this huge, intricate world with all these complex characters and plot lines and everything was just completely rushed and nothing felt earned or satisfying to watch that was the problem and a lot of people blame 
Benioff and Weiss, the showrunners and the writers for a lot of the episodes. I blame them. But I also heavily blame George R.R. R. Martin because he, re- he didn't, instead of finishing the books like he should have and just made millions of dollars off that, he decided to get himself involved being a producer and having his hand in a lot of other things that HBO has to offer other than Game of Thrones. He diverged, his attention was spread across all these projects, these television projects he had, instead of just finishing the books. If he finished the books, the show would have ended very nicely. You know, they would have wrapped it all up nice in a tidy bow, and instead, he kind of just, I guess, uh, well, Benioff and Wife said that he gave them the ending of how he wants it to end. So he gave them the ending and was pretty much like, good luck getting there because I'm not going to help you. So he he writes out this really complex world and plots and characters and then just leaves them in the dark to get to the destination that he wanted or that he told them he wanted. I don't, I don't know. The finale in the last season was disappointing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. That'll wrap it up for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all for listening and bearing with my rants. Uh, have a good weekend. A good Memorial Day weekend. Hope everyone has fun. Be safe. And I will talk to you guys next Wednesday.